Nadlin's family has deep roots in Atlanta. She is the District 5 Atlanta City Council member. Uh, District 5, just so you know, includes neighborhoods like Edgewood, Kirkwood, East Lake, East Atlanta, all rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods in the city. Nadalyn has been on the city council for 20 years. So the big question for Nadalyn, can Nadalyn make the leap from being a longtime district council member to winning citywide? Nadalyn Archibong. Yes. Thank you for joining me today My on the pleasure. podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, before we go too heavy into questions, we're going to start you off with a segment called How Atlanta Are You? Okay. All right. We'll let the viewers and listeners decide uh, just exactly how Atlanta you are. Um, but, be but actually, before I do that, tell me, are you an Atlanta native? Yes. Okay. All right. So that just raises the stakes a little bit higher. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you wake up in the morning, you want to go get a hot breakfast. Where do you go? What's your spot? Well, I would go to Homegrown. And what do you get at Homegrown? Uh, I would get um, just their scrambled eggs, a couple pieces of bacon and toast. Got it. All right. And you're riding down the street, listening to some music. What's in the car? What's in the car? I'm what are you car. listening to I, in the car? Oh, what am I listening to in the car? I am listening to myself. I like to talk to myself. But when I do turn on the radio, I will listen to V103. Okay. And when you talked, are you answering yourself? Too? I really am. Yes. Okay. All right. I just <laughs> wanted to check and see. But that's actually a smart thing to do is talk it out. I do. All right. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, let's see. Did you go to college in Atlanta? No. Okay. Where'd you go to college? Georgia Southwestern, which is in America's Georgia. Okay. And what did you study? Psychology. Ah. Mm -hmm. ah okay. All right. Let's see. Back to the Atlanta specific questions. Um, if you want to unwind and just kind of want to chill out, be a little incognito, what kind of places are you looking for? I'm not going to tell you. To, you don't have to tell me exactly where you go, but what's the vibe of the place that you're going to? Uh, it's going to be like a laid back coffee shop. A laid back coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And you're getting coffee, you're getting tea, getting you're putting coffee. a little whiskey in your coffee. What no, are you just doing? coffee. Just coffee. Okay. Extra cream. Coffee, extra cream. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. Well, we'll let. The folks decide just how Atlanta you are. Okay. But we know your name has some cred and the fact that you're Atlanta native, you got a little bit of cred there too. Love it. All right. Mm -hmm. So on to the, the hard part, the questions, mm. the questions. So you're Atlanta native. You went to high school. Where'd you go? East Atlanta High. Okay. And then after that, you said, all right, I'm going to go to college. Mm -hmm. And you went away and mm -hmm. you came back. I did. And you went to law school in Atlanta. Uh, uh went to law school in Athens, University of Georgia. I do okay. have a master's degree in public administration from Georgia State in Atlanta. Okay, got it. And then how did you get into politics? My father was the second African-American uh, on the DeKalb County Commission. My mom is uh, a retired school teacher, so public servants were always in our family. Got it. And you have other family members who were elected office too as well? Yeah, two of my brothers, uh, one in Tennessee was a city council member for many years, and my brother Howard Mosby was head of the DeKalb delegation for many years. He served for 18 years. Got it. All right. Mm -hmm. So elected office just kind of in the Mosby DNA. Yes. Is that right? That's the way we feel. Yes. All right. 
So maybe your daughter might be running for something. We'll see. Mm. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, so you decided to run for city council. What was that like? It was uh, interesting. Uh, the first time I ran, I did not win. And so... Uh, for, what was it? What was it? Were you close? Was it a close. landslide? Oh, no, it was very close. It was very close. And as I told the winner, do well. I want to be in a district where we have a great council member. And four years later, I was on the ballot because it was not um, a, a good four years. So, uh, and I won the second time that I ran. Got it. So the first time you ran, it was an open seat? Yes. Okay. And then you challenged the incumbent? Yes. The second time and defeated yes. that person. Yes. Okay. And then ever since then, you've been reelected. Yes. Been elected five times. And what do you like about being a council member? To have done that five times, why would you continue to torture so, torture yourself <laughs> in that way? Well, you know, it's not really torture. Torture, it is challenging. And sometimes you do have, have to deal with difficult situations. But the thing that I like about it is when you are able to make progress. I like the fact that we in Atlanta have our NPU system. We have Tell me what an NPU is that's for a folks neighborhood who may not know. planning unit. We have them all across the city. And communities get to come together to decide what happens around zoning and alcohol licensing. And they get to talk about community. And so Atlanta does a really, really good job of having a lot of plug-ins for community to speak to leaders at City Hall. And so I have enjoyed being in conversations with neighbors who really, really care, who are innovative. And I like bringing that innovation back down to City Hall for implementation. So it's just been interesting. It's never a dull moment. There is no playbook. And you get an opportunity to utilize all of those things that are exciting to me. That's thinking. That's relationship building. And it's just been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Got it. So District 5, give us a bit of an overview of what area does that encompass? And, and how has District 5 changed over your five terms? Um, District 5 is a very diverse and um I would say eclectic district in terms of uh, APD. People have heard of uh, Zone 6, and uh, some of the communities are East Atlanta, Kirkwood, East Lake, Lake Clare, Cabbage Town, Reynolds Town have parts of Old Fourth Ward and parts of downtown. Got it. And how has those those neighborhoods changed over the past five terms? The neighborhoods, all of them have uh, changed quite a bit. Uh, East Lake had a large uh, public housing compact, complex called little called East Lake Meadows, but sometimes referred to as Little Vietnam. Uh, and what a couple of weeks ago, we had the PGA there in that neighborhood, and the whole world was effectively in a community that was very troubled and had a lot of... Um, concerns around quality of life and that kind of thing. And so East Lake has is has changed quite a bit. And uh, East Atlanta, where I live, has changed quite a bit. We do have the East Atlanta Village, which is a very eclectic commercial node with a lot of entertainment, restaurants, and it's just a destination in Atlanta. And all across the district, we've seen that kind of uh, sort of metamorphosis from just a, a community that maybe had um, underutilized commercial buildings and had uh, troubled um, 
educational outcomes were not where people wanted them and that kind of thing. And so today we have vibrant commercial nodes uh, in every community that I serve and the schools are improving and we've seen a lot of uh, people moving in that were not from the community. I'm saying more white people moved in and that resulted in displacement. Uh, Oftentimes we saw where uh, homeowners made a decision to sell maybe because of uh, increasing property values, but I was most troubled when the decision was made and the value was lower than was really what the market would bear. And so we've seen a lot of concerns around, uh, do I still belong here? Should I sell my home? Should I renovate my home? And so it's just been a very interesting uh, mix of opportunities. So what do you say to someone who's grappling with that? They may not be able to, they feel like they can't afford to stay in the neighborhood They've been there for maybe a generation or two. Mm-hmm. What, what do you say to that family? Well, for the seniors, I started, um, I guess now 20 years ago, what I call making a fuss, focus upon senior services. And I would invite seniors all across the district to come into a event where they would actually have their property values uh, revealed to them. They'd find out about discounts, including uh, tax exemptions and that kind of thing. They'd also find out about valuation of their property. We also did uh, wills for families who wanted to have a succession plan or legacy planning. Uh, and so, um, so that the house could stay in the family. That's exactly right. And you can, have the power of knowing what you have with information. And so the sim- the seminars that I did every year was to uh, help families understand exactly what they had and what options were available to them. I also have been a big supporter of something called Neighbor in Need. And what that is, is Neighbor to Neighbors, a volunteer organization is all across District 5 where uh, volunteers get together and help seniors and families who are having problems with roofing and system repairs. We don't do beautification, but we'll do, you know, a bathroom, a replumbing job, a a rewiring job, and that kind of thing, because we didn't want our families to be choosing between whether or not they could live with dignity or live in a dilapidated uh, situation. And so there have been a number of sort of organically uh, generated opportunities to help families be more resilient. Got it. And what about the person who's a first-time home buyer? You know, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s. The market is so hot right mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. that their their chances are, like, it's just slim. Like I had a friend who lived, or her mom and brother, had a town, has a townhouse in uh, Glenwood. Mm-hmm. And before it even got on the market, they had three people trying to buy it. Right. And then each, you know, each person was trying to outbid the next. Um, So for that home, but the one who wanted it couldn't couldn't meet uh, the bidding war. Where do they go? And how how do you keep a city at a at a price level that that person can actually afford to purchase? That's the conundrum that we're facing right now. Uh, Atlanta is an inviting city. Uh, People want to come here. We have a lot of people that have come in from other parts of the country where our price points don't seem to be that high. But to your point of an example of someone who was raised here, 
wants to stay here, uh, the price points have gotten um, beyond the reach of many of our citizens. We do have down payment assistance programs through Invest Atlanta, and there are uh, ways that you can get help with reducing the cost of getting into a home. But what we really need to do is figure out how we can increase wages so people can afford to live uh, in Atlanta. And we also need to look at those parts of our city where you can, in fact, revitalize a home, right? And so uh, being able to identify a home, see the, the diamond in the rough possibilities, and then have support through renovation dollars and assistance with being able to bring that home back to life. And a lot of young people are doing that, and that's been really exciting. Yeah. It almost reminds me of like one of those uh, HGTV shows mm -hmm. where they tell you to buy the the house that might not look pretty today, and, but put, you know, 40, 50, $60,000 in it and bring it kind of up to the house that if you purchased it as is, would be, you know, 100000 maybe out of your budget. Right. Right. And you don't have to put in the $50,000 all at once, right? You want to make sure the plumbing works, the electrical works, that there's heating, and that the roof is solid. Beyond that, you can work on the walls mm -hmm. and beautification later. So for the person who's not yet ready to purchase mm -hmm. or is just not interested in purchasing, what do you do about rental prices in the city? Because everywhere that I kind of ride around the city, everything is a luxury apartment. Like there's no such thing as a regular apartment. Everything is luxury. Um, so what about that? Like, is there a role the city can play in having affordable apartments? Well, you know, most of our um, affordable housing dollars are spent in rental multifamily. We don't have enough in the single family acquisition category. All we have is a down payment assistance. And when those dollars are gone, they're gone. So when it comes to the rental market, what I'd like to see is for the city to identify sort of an asset map of all the existing, quote unquote, affordable units. And we need to work with the owners of those apartments to keep them affordable. If they need a grant or some low interest loans to renovate and to keep those properties as low as possible, but as habitable as possible, the city could definitely play a very dominant role in making sure that we keep affordable those rental units that currently are. For the luxury market, it is what it is. Uh, one of the things that uh, New York has done in other places, they've had rent controls where there's a ceiling on how much you can charge for rent. But here, doesn't that require state approval? I was going to say, we'd have to get permission from the state to do that. And the likelihood of that happening in a Republican-controlled state legislator is pretty low or non-existent? Uh, okay. We can continue to hope, and we can continue to have it in our <laughs> legislative packet to make the ask. And we need to do that. Well, they say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Right. So. All right. But even on that, I mean, how do you get... You know, there's always this question of what's the tension between what government should be doing and what the private sector should be doing. So how do you get the two aligned? Well, you know, I heard about an initiative in Buckhead that's uh, interesting. Uh, a number of the employers there are going to be working together to create workforce housing. Uh, the idea being that with Buckhead being an employment center and so many people traveling, 
you know, you could live near the airport and catch two or three buses and work at Buckhead. Is that uh, owned by the company? Will the housing owned, be owned by the company? They're going to be looking at pooling resources. I know they're working with uh, um, real estate owners and some of the employers to make sure that they can create housing for people who, in fact, work in Buckhead at a price point that is affordable at the average wage of someone in Buckhead who would be in need of that housing. It's a provocative idea, and it's going to take corporate. It's going to take probably some role from the city in terms of some allocation of dollars. But I think it's interesting that they're trying to figure it out for themselves how to help their employees be able to afford to live more cheaply. Have you ever seen this movie called Sorry to Bother You? No. Okay. You might want to, you should watch that and tell me what you think about corporate housing. It's it's an interesting notion of sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you by Boots Riley. Okay. That's the the name of the the guy who who came up with it. So good ending, bad ending. Oh, I can't, the ending is the best part. So I can't, (laughs) I can't tell you. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, you know, one thing that we're trying to do with this podcast is help people understand why they should pay attention to local politics, hmm. right? It's easy to say, oh, you, you got to know who the president is. You got to know maybe who your senators are. I don't expect folks to necessarily know who their Congress people are, right? But how do you get people to pay attention to local politics? Why should they care about city politics? Well, they should care about city politics. You know, we know the rule. All politics is local, right? And it starts at the granular level right at your door, right? Um, If you can afford to live in the city. If you can afford to live in the city and you have a door, right? No, don't go there. (laughs) Um, No, it's important because even looking at laws like uh, whether or not you can litter, whether or not uh, what is the speed limit within the city, we just went to Vision Zero, for example. Tell me, tell me what is that? uh, um, all across the city on our streets that we control, because some streets are um, controlled by the state, uh, the speed limit has been reduced to 25 miles per hour because studies show that if you are involved in a pedestrian or a cyclist in a vehicle, if the car is going 25 miles per hour or less, there's lower likelihood of a fatality. And so the city made that decision, and if you don't know about it, you didn't get to weigh in on what you think about it. It was just done to you. What you want to have is the opportunity to be a part of the decision-making process. And if you're not involved, you won't be. People will be doing things to you and for you, not with you. All right. On the traffic fatalities, in the city, African-Americans are the ones who are the highest um, in the, per- the percentage of folks who are hit by a car, um, who, who also even uh, die as a result of, of that traffic accident. And then in particularly black men, I don't know if you knew this, I black men are more likely to get jaywalking tickets in the city than anyone else. Yep. And the question becomes, is that targeted? Is that over-policing? And if the black male population isn't, the same as the percentage of black males that are being arrested or charged with that, then we have a serious problem. And then we have to look at, do we need more crosswalks? Why are we enforcing jaywalking uh, at that right. level? Or are there more cross- crosswalks in areas where mm. there's not as many African-Americans, right? I, I live in Midtown, oh, okay. and there's crosswalks everywhere. 
I don't know what that's like, you know, say in Southwest Atlanta. Are there the same amount of crosswalks? I don't know. Well, you know, that goes back to your earlier question. You know, why should you know your council member or why should you be involved in local politics? I get emails all the time from constituents asking for more uh, crosswalks. What do I do? I try to get more crosswalks. And so you want to be at the table. You want to be part of changing the outcomes for your community. Got it. So today you're a district council person, Mm -hmm. but you're running for council president, which is a citywide position. Yes. Tell me why you decided to make that transition. Well, I've been on council, as I said, um, for five terms. That's 20 years. You get four years per term. And when Council President Moore announced that she would not be running again, uh, that left a leadership gap as we look at the next term. And so a number of my colleagues uh, spoke to me about it, and I thought about it. And with the experience that I have and the love that I have of serving our city, it was just a logical next step for me. I'm ready for it. It's a job where I will be um, leading the city council, and so I'm excited about the opportunity. So what will be your approach? You come in day one, sworn in. What's your approach to leading a, a city council of, is it 13 no. individuals? No. 15. Mm-hmm. 15 individuals, mm-hmm. uh, a number of new faces. Six, at least. Right. So how do you corral the troops, so to speak? Well, I look at the city council as um, a group of leaders among leaders all across the city. The citizens in Atlanta made a selection and they chose 15 additional people to come to City Hall to govern and to lead. And I would just be a leader among leaders. And so, first of all, I want to meet with the mayor. And we need to set a policy agenda that is reflective of what we've heard on the campaign trail. All of us have been at candidate forums. We've been talking to neighbors. And we've heard the same things. Now, what are we going to do about it? We need to map out a plan to do that. So uh, we'll be working with the mayor to figure out that policy path forward. With colleagues, I'll be meeting with each one of them. We have seven committees. Each one of those committees overlap with a Department of City Government. I want to have a Department 101, which each of the council members, so that they can understand the duties and responsibilities of each of the departments within the city government. So we'll have a lot of sort of preparation work, and I'd like to do that in December so that in January, we will be about the people's business ready to serve, all of us. Got it. So Atlanta has a what we call a uh, strong mayoral form of government. What is the role of a city council when there is a strong mayor form of government? We can always counter that with we are a co-equal branch of government. But council hasn't always acted like that. Well, we're going to act like that because that's who we are. The, The citizens of Atlanta need a strong legislative body. We are that check and that balance. Nobody wants a rubber stamp. We want to make sure that the decisions are being made are being uh, overseen by a body, a legislative body that is holding people accountable. We're watching the dollars and we're listening to the public. And so whenever I hear a strong mayor, I always think a strong council must be positioned to be in place when we have a strong mayor. So how do you actually make that happen? Given that it hasn't really happened in the past, and we've had mayors who have been very strong mayors, 
and the council has kind of gone along, how do you actually become that counter? Well, I've been that counter. Um, throughout my uh, 20 years on council, I've been independent. I've listened to the positions of the administration or to the mayor. And when it was something that was in alignment with my constituents and what I thought was best, I went along with it. But when I didn't, I voted no. And I also it will encourage the council members to exercise their right to oppose, their right to challenge, their right to ask more questions. I want to just Go chime ahead. in here. So one thing recently that you did uh, was vote no on something called Cop City, uh, which is just the social media term uh, for a public safety training center that would be for police and fire, and I suspect a few other departments as well. Uh, you've talked about why you voted no, but help us understand what like, what was the symbolism of that vote for you, particularly in an election year? Well, the symbolism of that uh, vote was that symbolically speak symbol symbolically speaking that vote was the epitome of whether or not our government listens to the public or not the engagement of the public was late in the process why was that do you think well um the powers that be that were doing site selection did not do that in the public square uh, they did it and came back with a conclusion that they presented to the public. Well, the public had a lot of questions about that. But doesn't this happen quite often in Atlanta, where something is presented to the public once it's gotten pretty far along the process? That is correct. It is it is a recurring motif, and we need to change that. Listen, the council is a deliberative body. What that means is we vet, we vote, we debate, we discuss. We engage the community. It's not the place where dreams go to die. It's not the place where people are obstinate. It's the place where we weigh and consider. That takes time. And so for the public safety training facility, it was a very accelerated process. The community was left behind. Why was there such a sense of urgency, do you think? I don't know. There was a lot of speculation. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I do know that the existing facilities are dilapidated and deplorable. Our men and w women who serve us deserve better. They had Legionnaire's disease. They had mold. They had leaking roofs in the existing training facilities. Okay, let's put on one side, they need a new training facility. But we don't do things to people. We do things with our taxpayers. And so the need for the facility was taken care of in the short term because we had set up a temporary location for the police and for the fire. Mm -hmm. So the urgency was no longer on the table. To me, that left time for the deliberation, for the inclusion of the public, and for us to make a decision together that made sense for everyone that was environmentally um, appropriate, that it was appropriate for our men and women in terms of the location, and that we were doing our best to keep the community involved and engaged. Got it. So just last thing on that, I know and the way that the legislation was written, a new mayor uh, can decide if they want to proceed with that. Is that correct? They want to proceed with, with the facility where it's going to be located. There's a, there's a termination clause in the contract. Every city uh, contract has a 
for convenience clause. We can, for convenience sake, say we no longer want to continue with whatever the contract is. In this case, the new mayor ha will have the option to terminate this whole uh, agreement around where the facility will be located. That also factored into my decision to vote no. Why have the men and women who serve us in the public so engaged and outraged in many cases or uh, dissatisfied in others when in a few short weeks a new mayor could say, I want a do-over? It just did not seem fair to the public. So on public engagement, what do you think, you know, as a council president, what would you do to counter kind of the current state of public engagement, which is, as I mentioned before, we'll loop you in once we've gotten pretty far along the process. Um, as a council, as a council president, what would you do to kind of alleviate that concern or at least make it not as bad as it is today? Well, the council president cannot make other elected officials do anything. I can encourage, I can lead, I can negotiate. Rally the public. I can uh, be a good coach of a very strong, smart team. One of the things that I think could help would be if we, I want the new council members and the chairs that will be coming on board to know that they don't have to introduce legislation if it has not been properly vetted. The council members are often approached by the administration and asked to fast track uh, an item by having it introduced by that council member. I'm going to encourage them to say, no, this is not ready. This has not been properly vetted. We need more time. I'm not going to introduce it now. I think with that kind of encouragement, because uh, I don't introduce uh, many items on behalf of the administration, particularly if I don't think it's ready. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of like building up a muscle. I want to build up the muscle of our council members to know you can just say no, not yet. Yeah, that would certainly be a different approach. Yes. Um, so just as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what it's, it's, you know, in Atlanta, we always kind of plan things and on the elected official side. I feel like things are kind of planned in terms, right? Okay. Mm. Here's what I need to accomplish in four years. Mm. Here's what I'm going to accomplish in the next four years. Mm. So as a, as a council president, what do you want to accomplish? And think about this within a four-year term, but then beyond that, where do you want to leave the council? So what, what do you want your legacy to be? What we just talked about would be huge if the council could see itself as that counterbalance. If the council would pivot more to the public, we are the most public-facing part of the government. When we make decisions, it's on Channel 26. Now it's going to be on Facebook Live and Zoom and everything else. Although so, all the meetings are in the middle of the day. So they're all recorded. Just saying. It's kind of hard to leave public comment it, or attend a public a public meeting at, you know, 1 o'clock for, for a working class person, for someone who works, Okay. You know, that's just, you know, that's something I, I wonder if the, if the council would consider is having evening meetings. I don't know if we're going to have evening meetings. We need to consider that. But what I, I had legislation uh, asking that we look at continuing this hybrid, right? Even after the Delta variant and we're back to 
quote unquote normal, uh, normal whenever that happens. whatever that is and whenever <laughs> that will happen, we've got to keep this virtual component. Public comment used to be you had to sign up before one o'clock, you had to physically come into the building. What we've been doing now is you have this window of time, uh, several days. You can leave a voicemail. Mm -hmm. And that is recorded, that is heard, and then we vote. I think that's an excellent idea, and we should not discontinue that. So people can come, but people can also leave a recording. So I think we've learned something good out of this pandemic. So I think we can do more in the space of having that real public engagement. I want to see around the budget budget season, us actually going out to communities. This is the city's budget. What do you think about this? Should we do more for sidewalks? Should we do more for affordable housing? What in your community is your need? We want to, the budget is the biggest policy document that the council does on an annual basis. We need to be as, you know, connected to the public as we work through that as we can. And so I want to have more opportunities for the public to participate. You know, we're looking at participatory budgeting where you take a small percentage of the budget and you ask community, here's $2 million. What do you think we should do with it? Really have real engagement. That's a great exercise because I think sometimes if you're not in public office or if you don't work for a council member or if you're not a lobbyist, you may not understand the particulars of what goes into creating a city budget, right? Or just how expensive things are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so if you have, just think about it like your your home budget, you've got a set amount of money. How do you divide it? And how do you get the things that you want? And then picking and choosing and prioritizing. I think participatory budgeting would be a great idea. And you also would have to negotiate with your neighbors, right? Because it's going to be right. majority rules, right? So I think we need 15 feet of sidewalks. Well, no, we need a new park. So working it out can also be a great exercise as well. Got it. Um, What would you want, you know, the council and the school board have not always really, I don't think have ever really had deliberate conversation uh, and engagement with each other. Is that something that you would be considering as council president? I would. And we have been, we had a, a six member committee, three from the board, three from the council to talk about overlapping areas right? Uh, They do educating. We do policing, but so do they. They do after-school programming. So do we. And so looking at ways that we could better leverage our resources, you know, time out for fighting the school system. That doesn't make any sense. We have the same constituency. And so the council has been the body that has been working with the school board, and we want to continue doing that. We want to do it in a more public-facing way. We had the meetings uh, one month would be at City Hall, the next month at the school board. All of that should have been televised. And so we can just do a real better job of making sure the public knows we're working because we are committed to working with the school board. And what do you want to see in the next mayor? You're also a voter um, in addition to an elected official. So when you think about the type of person that you would want to work with as council president, um, the type of person that you want to represent your city, what are you looking for in the next mayor? Uh, Accessibility. Uh, We need a lot of communication. Uh, The next mayor should be committed to not only talking to other elected officials, be it the school board, be it the legislative branch, of the city of Atlanta, that means other council members, but we need to talk to community. 
we need to be out and about and the community needs to know that we hear them, that we feel them. And that's going to be one of the most important things. I want the mayor to be really present and really focused on Atlanta because Atlanta influences everything. And so we need to make sure that we've heard our public and that we're doing everything that we can to make our city as resilient as possible. All right. So, Nylon, you've been on council for 20 years. If you become council president for four or eight years or however long, what do you want your legacy to be? Thank you so much for that question. I want my legacy to be that we finally have the moniker, a strong legislative branch. I want us to have a record of a council that was very accountable to the people. I want there to be a record that I led a council that was very focused on the least of these. I believe that the the, uh, strength of a chain is determined by its weakest link. And as we take care of the least of these, we will have taken care of everyone. So I want my legacy to be that I heard the people and that I remembered that the we, the people, is the reason that we serve. Got it. Well, thank you for joining us for the show. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Great. My name is Natalie Archibong, and I am running to be the next Atlanta City Council president. I have served on the Atlanta City Council for five terms. That means for 20 years. I know the City Council, but more importantly, I know the community. I have been an independent voice on City Council. If you've been to the Edgewood Retail District, you know me. That's my district. If you've driven down Memorial Drive and you notice there are no more suicide lanes, you know me. I did that. I want to serve the people of Atlanta who have served me so well by allowing me to be your voice at City Hall. I am the only candidate running for this office who has ever served in City Council. Experience matters, and I need your help to continue serving you. My name is Natalie Archibong. Please vote for me for Atlanta City Council President. Thank you. For an Atlanta that is safe and strong, vote Natalie Archibong. Bong, bong. Thank you.